Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. On today's show, Canada's largest cannabis conference at Expo is in Vancouver this week. I'll be speaking to the CEO about what consumers and businesses can expect. And later on, we'll take a deeper dive into Canada's ETF space. You're listening to BIV Today. Canada's largest cannabis expo is in Vancouver this week. Hundreds of exhibitors from around the world will be participating in the Lift & Co. Cannabis Business Conference and Expo, which runs today through Sunday. Joining me is Matei Oluru, CEO of Lift. He joins me on the line today in Vancouver. Matei, good to have you on the show once again. Great to be back. Now, you've hosted this, of course, before in years past in Vancouver as well as in Toronto, but this is the first one you've had in Vancouver since legalization. Tell me, how is this event going to be different from the ones you've had in the past? Well, it's really our first Lift Expo since legalization period, both Toronto and Vancouver. Um, so for one thing, the topic uh, that's top of mind is, is retail, is what is product legalization going to be like affecting uh, recreational consumers and who are those consumers going to be? So I think we're going to see that reflected in the crowd this time, and we're seeing that reflected in the business topics that are being discussed today at the business conference. And tell me a bit about the makeup in terms of exhibitors. How has that changed? And maybe what are some of your expectations around how the participants this year are going to change? Mm, So we have a total of about 400 speakers and exhibitors uh, that we went through throughout the weekend. And uh, there is very much a focus on consumer-facing companies, so licensed producers, though now we have a whole new batch of retailers, licensed retailers or retailers looking to be licensed. And we're also seeing the presence of these companies change. Um, If you walk the show floor this time this weekend, you'll see a huge change in the booths. Booths are sometimes six figures and up investments from these producers and companies because this is really one of the few ways to advertise and get in front of a captive audience. So they're putting their best foot forward. That's very interesting. Now, of course, over the last little while, we've heard quite a bit of maybe more traditional players looking at this industry, some of our financial institutions, benefits providers, Shoppers Drug Mart recently announced its e-commerce store on the medical side of the industry. Are you going to see much of a presence from, say, companies that have been longstanding in Canada, but previously unaffiliated with the cannabis industry actually show up and engage more at your event? Um, definitely. So I know for, uh, in the audience for the business conference today, many of those companies you've listed are there. Um, I know while shoppers does not have a booth at this expo, they are definitely walking the floor and making connections. Um, we're also seeing a lot of, uh, attendees from the local regulators here, um, in Vancouver. So to answer your question, in a long-winded way, definitely. You know, we're seeing that involvement from all these stakeholders. And this is, again, one of the few places they can interact with consumers and uh, their peers in the industry. So it's a great melting pot for them as well. As of course, you know, if you look at the markets, there's been this massive rise in these big, big companies, companies like Aurora that have announced expansion, acquisition after acquisition. Is there still space in this industry and will that be reflected at your event for the smaller craft cannabis players? I think there definitely is. Um, In fact, we have seen Health Canada proactively approach that segment of the market with the micro licenses. 
you know, none have been granted yet, but I think that's just a matter of process and getting there. And we see what's happening across the country with privatized retail, both here in, in BC and of course in Ontario. And that is a net new opportunity for small players to get involved uh, and medium players to get involved. And that's definitely going to be reflected both in the content and the exhibitors at the expo. You mentioned a little bit earlier some of the questions, some of the topics that will be discussed, but tell me a bit more at this point in time what some of the unknowns are in the industry. We've learned quite a bit, but of course, there's still some uncertainties out there. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the biggest unknowns is what actually works and what doesn't. So this industry really is a new consumer packaged goods industry. Now, that mature industry has the luxury of historic data on customer trends, and products, what we have in the cannabis space is a product category that the end consumer doesn't quite understand, yet everything sells out. So there's no historic data, and what data is being collected today on what works isn't necessarily reflective of the truth picture, because things are out of stock, they sell, and this will probably be the trend for the next 12 to 16 months. So the biggest unknown is what works, why does it work, and once there's competition, who is targeting who and why, and who's going to really capture a certain market share of a segment. That's really big unknown, and that's what you need to mature in this industry, just like the consumer packaged goods industry. Hmm. What would you say then is really driving consumer interest at this point in time? As you mentioned, stores are selling out. Definitely. I think we'd have to split our consumer base in multiple segments, and that's where we uh, really hang our hat on the companies being able to segment all the data that we collect from our platform. At a very simple level, I would segment consumers between new time consumers and current existing consumers that are switching to the recreational legal market. For new time consumers, there's definitely uh, an aura of novelty, uh, uh, indication of safety because the government is involved. But at the same time, we see a very slow uptick. The lack of retail access, plain packaging isn't necessarily building trust on mass. So we see some new consumers come on um, and picking up some of that demand. And we're also seeing some existing recreational uh, consumers in the black market looking to buy in the rec market just because there's more variety, more choice. They want to expand and try new things. But the real question for that demographic is, will they continue to come back? Um, so that's what we're seeing today. And between those two demographics at a very, very high level, um, we're getting rid of all our supply. That demand alone is, is much bigger than what the supply that exists in the market today. That's very interesting. So of course, at this expo, you have the industry side and the consumer side. If consumers are coming to the expo, what can they really expect to get by way of an experience? Mm-hmm. Well, today is the business conference. Uh, tomorrow is the trade show floor is open. So just over 200 exhibitors uh, from all walks of the cannabis industry. And the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, is really the consumer days. So those are the $20 tickets that get you access to the full trade show floor where you will see everything from a live demonstration area on how to make uh, extracts and cooking with cannabis to exhibitor booths of all these licensed producers or retailers, accessory brands. And I think what's really going to be different this year <clears throat> is This expo is unlike any other trade show in any industry, because typically a trade show booth at an exposition is more B2B, focused on educating attendees about what this company does. But here in cannabis, because of the restrictions on marketing, 
when consumers walk the floor, I venture they'll get an experience at every booth. Uh, I've walked the floor and I've seen them. And as I mentioned earlier, some of these are 100,000 plus investments. They're meant to impress. They're meant to engage. And I think consumers will really get uh, perhaps the first view of what long-term legal cannabis will look like. A lot of marketing dollars and a lot of excitement behind it. How much, say, innovation will be showcased? It's such a highly regulated industry. It's unlike, say, a, a tech expo where you can try anything out. It's a little bit different, but consumers coming, will they be able to get a sense of maybe how products might evolve over the longer term? I think so. And I think uh, the reason that is because licensed producers are so limited in how they differentiate, they're trying their very best to differentiate and innovate. Um, Aurora, for example, came out this year with, or last year, I should say in 2018, with the first uh, essentially concentrates vaporizer. No other producer has done that. And I imagine they'll be speaking about that here as a point of differentiation. Um, we'll also see some producers talk about their wins at the Canadian Cannabis Awards. CanTrust, which won producer of the year, will definitely be highlighting why they were voted by Canadians to be the best producer in 2018. That's just two examples that I think of the innovation and differentiation you start seeing. It's such a big event. A lot of people look forward to it around the year. Now that we're in a legalized recreational environment, is there potentially enough demand to have smaller, more frequent expos? Do you see that? That's a great question and a great idea. Um, I think we'll start seeing, whether it's from Lyft or from other uh, companies that we're happy to support, smaller localized events for different reasons. Um, this is very much all of cannabis at once across the value chain, retailers, consumers, and producers. And perhaps you might see, um, you know, testing events in the future for uh, the first legal cannabis cup, um, which will be done under, you know, the more strict regulations than we've seen done by our friend uh, down south. Mm. But those are now all potentials. And we don't need a big trail floor to, help make an impact for consumers and producers. So I think so. Just quite what? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Matei, best of luck today and this weekend, and thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. That's Matei Olaru, CEO of Lyft, and of course, the Lyft & Co. Cannabis Business Conference and Expo is taking place in Vancouver January 10th through 13th. Globally, exchange-traded funds had $5 trillion in assets under management last year. Their popularity and the kinds of ETFs available have grown considerably over the last decade, but it's worth pointing out that the space has yet to come up against a protracted bear market. In a new study, the Investment Industry Association of Canada takes a look at the dynamics, risks, and outlook of Canada's ETF marketplace. The author of that study, Todd Evans, Managing Director of the IIAC, joins me today on the line from Toronto to talk more about that report. Todd, thanks for coming on the program. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Haley. It's good to have you. I mentioned some of those stats right off, right up off the top, but maybe give us some context to this discussion. How has the ETF space changed around the world in the last, say, 10 years or so? So that's a really good question. In, in Canada, um, I think um, 
Canada is a very early entrant into the ETF marketplace. So it has grown um, rapidly in Canada as it has in the United States and, and Europe and other parts of the world. There are some differences, however. Um, in Canada, the vast majority of ETFs are physical, meaning the ETF itself is based on a, a basket of securities or um, other products which are, are physical in nature, whereas there are there are other types of ETFs that are based on uh, synthetic um, composition, and that involves a total return swap and not the physical underlying assets. And in Europe, um, the uh, synthetic ETFs are a much larger part um, of the marketplace. So that that's one of the differences. Uh, but the growth in Canada has has mirrored what we we have seen um, uh, in other parts of the world. It's just the composition, like I said, in the United States and Canada tends to be primarily physical. And why don't we see more of those synthetic products here in North America? Part of its regulation. Uh, so the um, the, the regulations in, in North America are, are a little bit different um, in terms of um, the supportiveness uh, for those structures. So they do exist in, in Canada, but um, that, that would be the primary reason. Right, I see. Now, as I mentioned, and the report points this out, we have seen a fairly long-running bull market in equities, which means the ETF space really hasn't come up against a protracted bear market. What does that then mean for, say, providers as well as investors when you have a space that's kind of blown up over the last decade but hasn't been tested in all the different kinds of market conditions? So that's a really good question, and that's one of the um, focuses of uh, our report. There have been a couple um, instances where the market has come under under pressure. Um, you know, over the last ten years since since the crisis in '08 and '09, but as you say, not a protracted bear market. So what I would say is, in these mini crises, uh, ETFs have actually performed quite well. So so when the studies have been done by various organizations. Um, what's what's um, come to light is that, in fact, the ETFs themselves continue to trade in some of these mini crises, uh, whereas some of the underlying, the less liquid underlyings, um, didn't trade as actively. So um, in a bigger bear market scenario, uh, however, what you alluded to, if in fact um, it was it was to um, you know, a very large degree, there is some concern that, um, you know, selling could could sort of, you know, snowball. Um, but, you know, there are various levels of liquidity. You have primary liquidity and secondary liquidity where with ETFs that you don't have in the overall marketplace. So when in the primary market, you have the providers and the authorized participants providing liquidity. And in the secondary market, you have investors. So, um, you know, really, what we're we're trying to say is, it ha you know, ETFs haven't been um, tested in a protracted bear market, but by no means are we are we you know sounding alarm that they will um, you know perform poorly. We're we're really just sort of saying, uh, you know, the fact is they have not been um, tested in a protracted bear market. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly worth pointing out. You mentioned that in these these mini crises we've seen over the last decade, ETFs continue to trade, whereas 
other options didn't to the same extent. What what are some of the reasons in terms of why ETFs actually held up during those moments? So so one of one of the benefits of of ETFs is that there's uh, transparency, and, and it's worth mentioning some of the you know benefits uh, of ETFs versus other types of. Uh, both securities and 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 mutual funds. There's transparency and 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 when I say transparency, what I mean you you can see an active two-way market um, on exchanges, and and sometimes particularly for less liquid components, you know, high yield corporate debt, some some of the other components that may be in an ETF. In fact, there's not that kind of transparency. So that is one of the the benefits in you know. All markets, good and bad, that with an with an exchange traded fund, you have a lot of transparency in terms of the actual valuation. Mm. Now, it's because of some of these benefits, like transparency, like say the the low fees associated with certain ETFs that have made them very attractive to retail investors. Is mm-hmm. that fact that you maybe have a, a large section of retail investors investing in these products maybe a concern if we're talking about what could happen in the event of a, a major financial shock? Um, sorry, can you clarify that a little bit in terms of um, what? So uh, what I would say is, um, you know, the benefits, the transparency, lower costs, um, potential uh, tax efficiency. Um, high diversification in terms of the, the number of types of funds. What are you exactly alluding to? Yeah, I guess I'm curious that because you may have a lot of retail investors who have chosen ETFs over, say, other options, whether that means ETFs might behave differently than, say, uh, other equities or other products that are out there. Oh, well, what I would, would say is that, um, you know, ETFs, while they're growing and a, and a fairly large part of the overall marketplace, they're still, you know, not at a, at a critical mass and size where they, you know, dominate um, other uh, individual stock trading or, um, you know, mutual funds or, or things like that. So it's a large and growing sector. And I think it is attracting retail investors, as you've as you've mentioned, but it's not a such a dominant, you know, piece of the marketplace that um, I would worry about what you're trying to identify there. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that there are maybe some risks about what might happen in a very specific instance if we saw, say, a protracted bear market. But I'm curious there, when ETFs first came about, there were concerns about, say, how they drain dollars from other areas. Have those risks actually materialized? How has that sort of evolution taken place over the last 10 years as this market has matured a little bit? Right. So, so there, there is, you know, some fear um, that ETFs will cannibalize other products in the marketplace. But if you, if you look at, um, you know, other, other sectors, they are still growing themselves. So it's, it's not dwarfing, um, you know, other sectors. Although we did see for the first time this year, it's recently published that uh, in the last couple of months, ETF sales have outpaced uh, mutual fund sales. Mm, that's very interesting. Now, the report, it concludes with some general recommendations. As you've pointed out on our chat today, you're not sounding the alarm bells, but just pointing out some things that we should be aware of in terms of recommendations for industry. What do you think would be a good thing to do moving forward? Absolutely. So um, in terms of, um, you know, for the industry itself, uh, it's always worth looking at uh, this the structures themselves, looking at the performance. If uh, certain ETFs uh, are not performing or 
um, if there are concerns, in fact, uh, those ETFs can be uh, wound up and replaced. I would also say from a regulator point of view that, um, you know, regulators uh, remain diligent and, and they are. And, and I would say the industry is is attracting attention from investors, but also attracting attention from regulators who, again, are not sounding alarm bells by any means, but they're definitely, um, you know, examining the structures and and uh, ensuring that the sector is robust. Um, other recommendation um, that I would say is that when ETFs are being structured, that um, the providers are very aware of accounting and tax rules and, and have the investors' uh, best interests at heart. Todd Evans is the Managing Director of the Investment Industry Association of Canada. Todd, thanks so much for coming on the show. Haley, it's, it's been a pleasure. That's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV today. You can get notified of new episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes or on Stitcher. We want to get the word out too. And if you loved a particular episode or are a fan of the show, please do consider sharing it with your networks. You can listen to episodes and read more business news at BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening.